Hawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome inside the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and featuring 12thManRising.com editor and football analyst, Keith Myers. Hey guys, welcome into the Hawks Playbook Podcast. I'm here with Keith Myers in person in my studio. Hey Keith. Hey, it's nice to actually do this where we can see each other. Exactly. I know I kind of pretend I'm looking at you uh, when we record. Now I actually have to look at you. I know. It's, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, it's probably easier when I'm just on the computer. <laughs> oh, but you know, by the time we're done with this podcast, it'll be easy. It'll be, it'll be real easy. Well, yeah, especially this podcast since we're going to be drinking through the whole thing. This is our first annual beer and expectations podcast where we sip some homebrew that Keith has brought with him today, as well as a couple of other commercial products that we're going to compare with. And we're going to talk about the Seahawks uh, upcoming season and what we can expect, what we expect from them. And um, it's going to be a fun show. And we've got a little bit of food to kind of go with it so that we can clear our palates in between beers and uh, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Yeah, me too. It's a lot of good, hopefully a lot of good beer. Uh, I've got, I brought four different ones that I have made in my own home, in my own little homebrew shop. And then we got, got a couple of other like commercial ones. So normally um, we start off the show with a uh, what's been going on in the week um, as far as news. And really there's not a lot of news other than uh, Cam Chancellor got married. And I just noticed that it's it's really good to be fairly wealthy and have a really nice looking wedding. I noticed that on Instagram that he was posting his pictures and stuff. All these guys are decked out in like the Supreme suits and all of these guys, you know, his, his wedding party and, and cam look just killer in these suits and stuff. And it's all dialed and, everyone's laughing and having a good time and i was like oh my god i'm actually jealous i was i just for a minute i just wanted to be there and like be part of that celebration because it must have just been awesome with all this all his buddies yeah that would have that would have to be a lot of fun especially you know because of where they are like where he is in his career you know like he can just throw money at an, at an event like that do it a hundred percent of everything you'd ever want to do and just have that experience and have that memory and just have no, none of these things where it's like, oh, I really wish we would have been able to yeah. do yeah. something. Right. And, eh, whatever. And, he's, and he waited, you know, he yeah. waited a while. He just didn't rush into it and he, he waited until it was right. And hats off. Congratulations to Cam Chancellor. So let's get right into it. So today, uh, Keith has brought over. Uh, quite a number of beers, and we're going to start, however, with a beer from Norway. I had a uh, foreign exchange student, uh, Benedicte Nilsson, in this year, uh, who uh, completed high school here in uh, Westland, Oregon, and uh, her family came over from Norway to meet her and to, oh, can you hear that pouring in the background? That is just awesome. Um, and uh, her parents brought over a uh, a pilsner from their town that they're from a little town called Vanesla, Norway. Um, and this town has a factory that's been there for a long time, and the factory was shuttered, and they reopened it as a um, to brew beer, 
and they have a restaurant there and they, they brew their own beer and this is their home beer that they've brought over. And this is actually the very first time that I'm going to taste it. And so I have no expectations, but let's give it, let's give it a swirl and see what we got. Yeah. So, um, we have the only, there's, there's a lot of writing on this bottle and yeah. none yeah. of it is in English. The only it word. It actually does say lager. The I'm o- sorry. Yeah. The it's only, the only word on it that I recognize is the word lager. So that is what we're drinking. We're drinking a Norwegian lager. It's a Hans Fos Bruggeri Fattur lager. I have no idea what you just said other than the word lager. Oh, it's refreshing. It is. It's got, it's very light. It's yes. very, um, it's citrusy. I hear it feel like some citrus notes in there, like a, almost an orange. Yeah. You're going to get that from the hops. Yeah. So certain, um, certain br- species of hops, uh, have a, a definite citrus note to it. And that's where they're getting this. So since we're, Bringing a lager. Do you know the difference between a lager and an ale? Let's talk about beer. So that's, let's. That's what let's, we're here for. Let's. Uh, that's what I'm here for. You're here to talk about football. Yeah. I'm here to talk so about I guess uh, an ale and a lager. I would have to think it would have to come down to the the roasted malt and and the hops. Nope. And the time and the yeah. All, <laughs> the I di- don't know. The difference between an ale and a lager comes down mostly to the yeast that's used, and the difference mainly is that it, you have you have um uh with ales you the yeast is uh does its thing at a higher temperature so it's more around room temperature around 70 degrees with a lager you have to cool it down and allow it to ferment usually somewhere in the you know 50 to 55 uh range and it takes a lot longer but you end up with uh different flavors that come out from using doing the yeast so you end up with uh, you can have the same exact grain load, but because you're uh, fermenting it differently, you end up with very different flavors. So I, I've always had this question, and I've never really understood a, a competent answer. Maybe you can do that. What makes a beer clear versus cloudy? Like some ales, amber ales, pale ales and such, are a little cloudier than, say, this lager is, which is really nice and clear. Uh, there's a couple of different things that it could be. The primary uh, reason for cloudiness is protein. So if you think, start thinking about it, the the chemistry aspect of the uh, the brewing process. And so if you have uh, you use a, some sort of protein binder, uh, some of them will use like actually use gelatin and or the stuff called Irish moss, which isn't moss or Irish, but that's what it's called. Um, but they're stuff that they they bind the proteins and cause it to settle to the bottom, and so then it just comes out with all of the um, spent yeast and you know the hops and the the gunk that's in the bottom of the fermenter. It, all the protein goes out, and you end up with a much clearer clearer beer. Uh, some like if you go to their super cheap beers. Like the Bud Lights and those, they actually just filter them in order to get uh, the proteins and stuff out of there. But that's the primary cause of it. Interesting. This is actually really good. I think this is a good way to start because, Keith, why don't you go through some of the other beers that you have brought today that we'll be testing a little later. Okay. So um, after this one, the next lightest one that we have is, uh, I'm not sure if the people listening have ever tried a 
It's called Moose Drool. It's out of Big, St- Big Sky Brewing in Montana. Uh, pretty popular beer. It's a dark brown ale. So that's a is that a commercial? It's a yeah. It's so, you, so you didn't brew that. I didn't. Well, I brewed a clone of that. So it sh- it tastes very 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 similar. Okay. Uh, it's called Caribou Slobber. So instead of Moose Drool, same idea. Um, but it's it's very similar. So I brought that, and then I brought um, three stouts. I brought a an American stout that I brewed. I brought uh, a Guinness Irish Stout, which that's commercial, and then I brought what's called a milk stout, which is my stout, but with added sugars that are unfermentable, so it ended up sweeter. And so I figured we'd have those three kind of together so we could kind of taste the differences and talk about them. And then finally, for our last one, I brought what is one of my favorite beers ever, and it happens to be one that I made. It's a um, vanilla bourbon porter. It's pretty high on the alcohol uh, content, a lot of flavor. It's really good. You'll like it. Wow. Keith is trying to kill me. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Those all sound really good. So we're sitting here at this desk, and by the end of it, I will be talking, and you won't hear Bill at all, because he will be on the floor. (laughs) uh, And all you hear is occasionally in the background. (laughs) I am used to, and admittedly, I'm not a huge drinker. I like to drink uh, some, some Pinot Noir wine. I will uh, have a six-pack of beer usually in my refrigerator all the time. Sometimes I don't go through it in two or three weeks. I know that sounds kind of strange, but I'm a, I'm a beer drinker light. Like I will have a, an occasional beer, especially when it's hot out. I usually do a pale ale or a, a amber ale. Um, typically, I don't do lagers or don't do pilsners. Um, very much. I kind of like the more flavorful and bitter beers. Um, I ha- I don't do the stouts and the and the um, porters usually, unless maybe I'm going to a, like a McMinnimum's pub or something like that where I'm out a little bit and I don't have to worry about driving. Uh, well, actually, and, um, one of the myths is that the porters and stouts are higher alcohol yes, than yes. than the other ones. There, they don't have to be. Okay. The difference isn't the alcohol; it's how much they that the grain is roasted. Because it's it's almost all beer is made out of barley, and so if you have a really light colored beer, the barley hasn't been roasted or malted for very long, and if you have a really dark beer, like a really deep stout, they've roasted the uh, barley a long time, and that's where you get the chocolatey kind of. Um, so it has nothing to do with the fermenting process. No, it has to do se. with the malting process before okay. you even start. Okay, so that's good to know. Yeah, so you can actually get session <clears throat> stouts that are. Like four percent alcohol, which is really low. It's all. It's like a just barely above like a regular Budweiser. With with that said, where are you at with with the beers that you brought today? Uh, the Caribou Slobber is about four and a half. It counts as a session beer. Um, the Stout runs just about five. The Milk Stout is it's the same beer, so it also runs about five. And the Vanilla Bourbon was seven point three before I added the bourbon. So it's probably close to fourteen, maybe. No, it's probably about nine. Okay, so. okay, that's not bad. Yeah, it's 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 up there. Yeah. So we're gonna finish our Norwegian lager, mm-hmm. and we're gonna start talking about Seahawks stuff because we're gonna kind of combine the show with uh, Seahawks uh, players and our kind of our perceptions of uh, what's going on with the team this year and what we expect, and we've got some kind of questions that we've laid out. Uh, and we'll go through uh, some of those answers. Um, 
And just FYI, before we get along too far, this show is probably going to end up going about an hour and a half. Um, so you may want to pause it halfway and come back to it or listen to it all the way through. That's fine, too. But we thought oh, we'd give you a heads up. Speaking of which, I, there was one more thing we have to add before we jump into Seahawks stuff. At the end of our second coaches uh, episode, you promised a T-shirt to anyone who watched or listened to all yes. both episodes all the way through. And my wife told me that you owe her shirt. Oh, she completed awesome. Uh, the sec she made it all into the end of the second episode this I, last week. That's that's really awesome. I tell you what, at some point, <laughs> at some point this year, I think that we should probably make some some t shirts. We should some Hawks playbook t shirts, and maybe as a promotion and a giveaway and so forth. And uh, I will promise her one of those. How about that? Sounds good. So, you know, um, as we go through the team. Why don't you start by just giving an overall impression of the off season, kind of an, as a baseline for where we left off from our last game to where you think we're at today? Well, if you look at where where the team left off at the end of the year last year was there had a ma- they had major weaknesses on defense, mostly because of injury. You know, the, this like incredible run they had of you know four straight. Um, times of leading the league in points allowed kind of came to an end because of all the injuries. And so the defense fell apart and then the offensive line had never come together. So that was the two areas on the team where the, where the, everything kind of focused around this. The, the, the off season was about fixing those issues. They need better depth on defense and just talent on the offensive line. And so the off season was really about those two things. And I thought they did really and, and good the, at the And defense. the running back situation. Well, yeah. yeah but, I mean, you could add that as a third kind of a... Yeah. Right. They, they, they did really good, at, in my opinion, at adding to the defense. And they set the offensive line up to improve because everyone was super young and they're just going to, you know, continuity and that kind of stuff. And they're just expecting improvement um, from all these players. And so they, they didn't make wholesale changes, but... The the changes that they did made improved depth and and gave them a little bit more wiggle room as far as what happens if somebody gets hurt or if someone doesn't progress and that kind of stuff. So they have they've really addressed the two areas that needed addressing, and that's what good teams do. So yeah, I could go just even a step further and say that their defensive line was. Uh, a slight weakness, not, not a terrible weakness. I mean, they were still really stout against the run last year, but I thought um, pressure up the middle was a particular problem uh, for the team. It was, um, it, it put more pressure on the back end of the defense. Um, and it, that was evident uh, when Cam Chancellor was out with his uh, hamstring issues, I believe. And then of course, Once Earl, got, Earl hurt. Thomas got hurt. It was just all over anyway, but it was very pronounced that when we couldn't get pressure, our our defensive backs just couldn't get the job done. And, and it would have been a difficult situation anyway. But I think this year, uh, with Quentin Jefferson coming back uh, from injury, if he can stay healthy, if and you've got Malik McDowell coming in in the middle, you've got Nazir Jones as a new uh, kind of a run-stuffing type prototype uh, defensive tackle. But he's got a little bit of, uh, they think that he can add a little bit of pressure up the middle. Um, not necessarily in sacks, but just 
disrupting the, the pushing back the pocket just a little bit. Yeah, just all he has to do if he can if the defensive tackles can stop the quarterback from stepping up in the pocket away from the defensive ends uh, just by pushing back. They don't have to get sacks. They just got to prevent you know the the quarterback from being able to take those two steps forward and if you can do that you make the two defensive ends more productive the the sack right. the sacks show up because uh if there's nowhere for the quarterback to go Cliff Averill's going to get there i mean that's just what he does and and so i'm i'm bullish on the on the defensive line this year i think it's going to actually be one of my favorite um position groups on the team and then um you know we added a lot of depth to the linebackers um, I thought our linebackers after KJ and Bobby Wagner was a little light last a, year. A little, a little light, a little. Yeah. Okay. But we did, we did okay though. I mean, you got to admit Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright had career seasons. Oh, they did. But to say that it was a little light, I think is an understatement because it was really those two guys. That's, and then that's it. Right. A whole bunch of, right. You know, just pieces right. that they kind of threw yeah, in. You know, we did the same thing kind of this year though. They're just different pieces. We yeah. just don't know how yet they're a going lot of, to emerge. A lot of mixing and matching of things that aren't, they're not, they're not great pieces to put in there, but as long as those two guys stay healthy, as long as KJ and Bobby stay healthy, you've got uh, somewhere around 70% of your linebacker snaps taken care of. And then it's only, you know, the you only use that third linebacker about 30% of the time. So you don't need much beyond them as long as those two guys stay healthy. And I think the depth is improved, but it's not it's not like they added a Bruce Irvin right. or a type, you know, well, a, a type and, of guy who's really frankly, good. Quite frankly, we just, we didn't need to. And I, <clears throat> I we threw that money at Jokel is basically what we did. Yeah. Jokel took the... Um, the, the lion's share of the free agency money this year, along with um, our new running back, Eddie Lacy. Eddie Lacy. And um, <clears throat> so as we moved to, to talking about the offense a little bit, I thought they did improve that, that offensive line a little bit. Now, everyone kind of poo-poos the Jokel signing a little bit. And, and quite frankly, I understand why. Um, but um, he's, he's slightly better than a middling average tackle or guard in the NFL, and that's quite frankly better than anything like, they had last year. Yeah, four fifths of our offensive line. Yeah, you know? Jokel is not a good tackle. He's not a guy who's going to be a Pro Bowl or, or or that kind of stuff. But he's not terrible. Uh, right. Jamarcus Webb was terrible. Right. He was one of the worst right. players in the NFL. <laughs> Listen, last if, year. if so, fans are expecting a number one pick in the in the first round type offensive tackle we didn't get that no he's not going to meet those expectations and that's why he's gone from where he was yeah and so we picked him up on a you know seven million dollar contract one year prove it deal and we'll see what we end up getting but i think what's going to happen and it, all indications are that fant is going to keep that left tackle job it sounds the more the more people around the team talk you know the coaches and um and, and john snyder the more it sounds like the job is fans to lose. Um, Which is, is a great development on it, its face. It, it depends on how you look at it. It's either a great development because that means, wow, he took this huge step forward and it's like they're going to have this left tackle, which is one of the hardest positions on the team to, to fill, that they will have gotten out of an undrafted free agent basketball player or whatever. So that's like huge. It's all, I'd also be taking a, 
has a bad sign because this is an undrafted free agent basketball player who yeah. was was genuinely not a good football player last year and who was coming into camp with no real competition uh, for his job. So you can look at it that way and be like, wow, this is yeah. a really bad development. So it kind of depends on your expectations for Fant. Is he going to be... Is he going to take that level, or is he just only a slightly better version of what he was last year? Wow. I think he starts the season as a slightly better version of what he was last year, but ends the season with all of us going, wow, that guy was wins the title for most improved player. Man, I hope so. If he, if he wins the title for the most improved player on the team, Seattle's offense is much better in 2017 than in 2016. So another uh, player that you can look at uh, for most improved, and only because of injuries, if he can stay healthy, is Procise as the third down back for Seattle. He showed last year what he could do when he was healthy, and it was really dynamic. Oh, yeah. And if he could bring that, even if he missed just a couple of weeks, but if he was there most games full-time, watch out, because he's going to make a huge impact. Well, one of the um, one of the stats that... Uh, isn't widely available out there, but is it's on there for media members who actually go onto the um, the NFL's official database. Is it's um, net yards over average, and so what they do is they take um, they take a play and they go based on yard uh, yards to go down where you are in the field, and say okay if you're it's a running play what's what's the average in that situation, and then. So what happens, what does a running back do um, when they have the ball in that same situation compared to league average? And most, so you go back to last year, most of the, um, most of the Seahawks backs were below average, which some of that has to do with the offensive line, but it's also, you know, some of the talent issues. And ProSize was like almost two yards per play better than NFL average. Um, and that's with Seattle's offensive line. So he, I mean, it, well, it just goes to show you just how Well, a lot of that came with that 75-yard dart that he had, though, too. That really skewed his results because of the lack of overall playing time. So that big, big run yeah, but that's impacted what, that quite but a that's, bit. But it's also weighted. So they don't, the way the, the stat, that particular stat is put together is it's weighted so that one play can't, skew everything totally fair, so fair enough so it's it's a small enough sample and one really big play that yes it, it does but it's not weighted in in a way where that one play doesn't have the same weight as any as the rest of the plays. it's it's shrunk down in terms of how much emphasis that play is given on on the, the statistical uh number so well i think the expectations for that running back group are really high this year i mean you have to admit sh- when you take a look be. at thomas rawls who's literally fighting now for his job and Eddie Lacey, go ahead. Keith is going to pause because we've finished the Norwegian lager, and he's going to grab our next beverage while I while I talk just a little bit, and then I'll let you uh, tell everybody what it is. Oh, he's gonna pop the pop it. Oh my god, that sounds good. That's a Grosch bottle, so it's <laughs> it it comes out it, it when you pop the um, the top off of it, it kind of sounds like a wine cork, but it's not. It's a just another beer bottle. So this is so, our. You go ahead. This is our uh, caribou slobber. So it's um, Moostrel clone. Wow. So this is a dark brown ale. It's 
definitely lighter. It's not you can you can tell this by looking at it. It's not a porter or anything like that. It's it's lighter. It's a little bit darker than an amber. Um, doesn't have the redness of like an Irish. It, it's definitely got the color of a brown ale. Yeah. Yeah. So let's have a drink. Oh, that's nice. Like that? That's very smooth. It is. So tell me about the flavor. What's what goes into this thing? Barley and hops, water. So there's no other <laughs> flavoring. No. Um, it, so there, I, it seems like I was uh, had a, just a slight hint of cinnamon, maybe. That comes from the hops. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, because there are there's like a thousand different um, varieties. Varieties. That's the right word. I was going to say species, but no, because you can cross pollinate. But um, it's like a thousand different varieties of hops, and so if you pick up, especially the the floral notes, the citrus notes, and then occasionally like the you know the cinnamon and some of that, usually it comes from the hops. Sometimes it comes from the malting process. Interesting. Um, so let's pause really quick talking about the Seahawks and talk about home brewing as a hobby. Like, do you have now stores that you can go out and buy this? Do you find your um, your source material online at this point and have it shipped to the house? I mean, how, what goes into the actual process? Well. So there's both. Uh, Northern Brewer is local. Um, they're, they're online and they ship stuff. So if you know what you want, you can just go on their site. If you don't, there are tons of um, homebrew shops around. Um, you know, the one in Vancouver that I use is, is Bader's Beer and Wine Supply. And so I just you walk in there and they've got a big fridge with all your hops and yeasts and everything there and then you can get all of your extracts if you want to do extract brewing or if you're doing all grain they have a whole wall full of tubs and so you just you know measure out what you need of that and so give me a typical batch size five gallons so in five gallons how, how many pounds of hops do you need uh you need a few ounces how many how many so, pounds of barley do you need okay so if i am if i'm doing Five gallons, if I'm going to, okay, so the different malts, I'm just trying to think of a recipe. Usually I'm going to go, I'm going to run about 12 pounds of malt, which is roasted barley. Okay. Um, so that's the main ingredient in, yes. in all beer. Yes. So you have your. So you've, that's a, okay. So you go have ahead. your, you have your um, malted barley, your roasted barley, and you grind it up um, or you have your beer supply person you know once you've measured out exactly what you need you have them grind it up and then you do what's called mashing which is that you basically soak it in the right temperature of water for long enough and so because a lot of the a lot of the stuff that's in the barley is starch but there are natural enzymes also in the barley that will break it from starch down into sugars and so you what's what mashing is is you you go through it and you just it's soaking it long enough to get all those starches turned into sugars and then you um, do what's called sparging which is a lovely german word uh, which is basically what you, you're doing is you're rinsing it and you are getting all those sugars out of the barley um, and into the water and that water is what becomes your, your beer because you get all the sugars and all the flavors and everything so you rinse it and strain it yes okay so you get all that all the, you don't have any of the of the like actual barley kernels or anything left in. It's all just this the water. It's called wort. That um, another German word that is 
it's, so do you, it's all the like sugar temperature when you say temperature do you boil it or do you no. is it just short of boiling temperature or it, how does that work it depends on it depends on your recipe and what type like what kind of malt you're using and and that uh, it's usually about 150 degrees for an hour um is is your general mash oh. time so that's not even simmer it's just it's just warm yeah water yeah so interesting so yeah so you you do that and then um, once you sparge it, rinse it out, and you get, end up with, with five gallons of, or slightly more than, of brown water, because it's all the sugars and flavors and everything from it just in the water, and then you bring that up to a boil, and you'll boil that for an hour, and you'll add to that your hops at different points. So uh, you might add an ounce of hops right at the beginning of the boil, and then another one 20 minutes later and then a, a final one with 10 minutes to go and and the different varieties you add the different amounts the and it's usually about an ounce either half an ounce or an ounce at, at two to three different places is where you add your hops in your boil and so you, you those give you some of the, the the distinct flavors and any kind of bitterness and that you want or or, or that stuff and so you get it for an hour and then then you're done as far as that cooking and then you have to cool it really fast um, and so usually that involves, um, uh, some copper pipe and some cold water to run through the copper pipe and you actually submerge that copper pipe in your tub of beer and, um, run the cold water through yeah. it. And so it cools it down really quick. Then you transfer it so in. So you're, you're literally trying to stop the process. Yes. You're trying to stop the process, get it down, get it cool. And then the other thing you're trying to do when, when you're cooling it is you want it to spend as little time as possible um, below a boil before you get it sealed and you have your yeast in it because you don't want any, you don't want any wild yeasts or anything to get in there and infect it. So you, you cool it down fast. The, the, the aim is 70 degrees. Um, so what's fast to you? Like 15 minutes? Yeah. Five to 10 generally. Wow. When the first couple of batches, I didn't have a, a five, five gallons from 150 to, you know, 70 degrees. Or oh, no, whatever. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's going from boiling. Okay. Boiling. Degrees. Yeah. Yeah. So 200, 10 degrees or whatever to, yep. yeah, 70. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So when, when I was doing extract brewing, which basically means that instead of you don't have to deal with, deal with the grain, you just get this tub of what's like syrup. That's basically, they took the, they, they did all the part with the grain for you and then cooked it down into like a syrup. Um, and so you just pour that into your water. Um, when you, when you're doing that, your, your, your goal is a hundred degrees because then you're going to add a bunch of water to it yeah. to bring your volume up to five gallons and so you can add cold water and therefore you make the final temperature do you do, you do this stuff in your kitchen or do you do it out in the garage with like a like a cooking surface or so my first few batches i did in my kitchen um because when you're doing extract you're only using like three gallons of water and so you can have that pot and three gallons of water and your cook stove can can handle it when you start going to all grain it you know, now you need 10 gallons of water and that's a lot of weight for your, your kitchen stuff. So, uh, it ends up not working well. So I actually have a, a, a propane burner out in my garage and, um, it, so it's like a chemistry lab. Yeah. It yeah. puts that, that thing, <laughs> that thing puts out, um, about 180 BTUs mm -hmm. and it'll, heat yeah. up, it'll yeah, hit yeah. 10 gallons of water from room temperature to boiling in about five minutes. It, it, you, you get close to it, it'll melt things. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And most most uh, kitchen burners are, you know, 75,000 BTUs. 
you know the, the real nice ones yeah. on your commercial yep GE. The, the, and this one's almost three times that yeah nice nice so, so there's the basic process once you get it cooled down you toss in your yeast you cap it you put a, a some sort of airlock on it you know the little bubbly thing so that the anything that comes out of it has to pass through water so that way you can't get nor, back you, in. you can't get air back into it um and you let it sit for a week two weeks uh, and then you go through a bottling process. And then you go through a bottling process or a kegging and process. And then it sits another anywhere from... It depends. So if you bottle, once it's done fermenting, you uh, you still need to carbonate it. And so you add a tiny bit of sugar to it, um, bottle it, and then leave it sitting at room temperature for a week to two weeks. And that will allow the fermentation will restart up a little bit, and it'll add just enough pressure to carbonate uh, your beer before you stick it in the fridge. Um, if you're kegging, you don't have to worry about that, so you just put it straight into your keg and add your CO2 pressure, and that will carbonate it right. for you. Now, now some people use nitrogen as well on mm-hmm. that for the, on the kegging for nitrogen in certain beers, right? Yes, usually dark beers, usually stouts will um, will go nitro, and that's. It's your a, a bottle of nitro is still has significant CO two in it. It just also has the nitrogen gas. And so, and the reason for that is specifically for the way it pours and yes. and, and the head and the the yep. density of the head and all. I mean, yeah. there's just some stuff that's just crazy. Where the detail. Yeah, and and it's 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 entirely for the way that it pours and the way that it looks in a glass after you pour it because you get that those bubbles that that f- go downward instead of up. Um, those are the nitrogen bubbles, nice. and uh, it looks. I didn't cool. know that, by the way. It it looks really cool, um, and it changes the mouth feel a little bit you, just because it's a little smoother that when they use nitro. Um, I like it, but it's kind of expensive to set up a tap a nitro tap, and I haven't done that yet, so. I don't have one. That's a great process. Well, thanks for sharing that because I am a novice for sure. I, at one point thought about 20 years ago that I would, I wanted to get into home brewing and my brother-in-law and I were going to bought all the stuff, but we didn't get any ingredients at the time. We just got all the equipment and it just sat in the garage then for like 10 years, literally. And I ended up selling it. So I no longer have that, and I didn't look into it any further. So, thanks for educating me because that's that's yeah. an awesome process, a fun hobby. It's a lot of fun, and one of the best parts about it is a batch is five gallons. That's a lot of beer. I'm not going to drink that much beer. I'm kind of like you. Like I like to sip and and taste, and but I'm not I'm not going to drink in excess or anything like that. I'm not going to drink every day or anything crazy. So sharing is um, fun, and so that means I have five gallons of beer to get rid yeah. of before I can brew some more. So. Oh, who do I know that might want some beer? And I just, you know, a lot of it's just given away. Yeah, which, yeah. which, it, it sounds like wow, I'm just spending all this money, but it takes. It doesn't cost once you have all the equipment. It doesn't cost much to brew five gallons of beer. It really doesn't. Yeah, well, and it's great. To, it's fun. To give it away, and yeah. everyone gets to taste your beer, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And this, by the way, is amazing. You like this one? Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I have one bottle of this left. Wow. That's it. I have the one that we're drinking and one more at home. This has um, been one it's of my... It's actually f- a perfect beer for me. It's one of my favorite ones, and it's it's a favorite. Like, every time I give it away, people bring me back empties and ask me if I have more. So, and so I don't, because I'm almost out. While we finish this off, 
Um, Are we going to finish this off? Or I don't know. Up? I mean, That's we a got a, we got a lot of beer, but I don't want to waste it. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay wasting it. I'm just like, oh my god, there's beer left. Um, so while we're while we're doing that, why don't we talk and finish uh, up on the offense a little bit? Um, so. We talked about the running backs. I think the competition with the running backs this year, with Chris Carson coming on, Mike Davis is added, Alex Collins is coming back, hopefully in better shape to start camp this year. Um, Eddie Lacy, of course, uh, that looks like he's going to be a, a steal, I think. Um, and I think he's probably going to end up being the best running back out of all the free agent running backs that were out there. And he fits our offense to a T. Oh, absolutely. You know, and Thomas Rawls is going to be fighting for every carry that he thinks he's going to lose to Eddie Lacy. And it's just going to make the whole group really nice. And you didn't even talk about ProSize in there, who's probably the most dynamic athlete in the group. Right. And and Pete really likes to use ProSize out on the flank, some play action stuff, um, so that he's catching those bubble screens and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Procise, this is a guy that could be offensive player of the year if everything goes right. If everything goes right, he and he stays healthy, and he would have to get the he'd have to get more touches than I expect him to get because I think Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls are going to keep him off the field enough to to make that not happen. But the talent is there. It's, it's unmistakable the talent, talent is there. So let's talk about the wide receivers for a bit. Um, you know, I was looking at the wide receiver group overall, and I kind of surprised myself. I thought that maybe we had overall better depth this year than we did last year. And yes, we do, but a lot of that depth is totally unproven. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of proven guys behind Paul Richardson and Tyler Lockett. Jermaine Curse is going to be there and Doug Baldwin. After that, it gets pretty thin. We've got Amara Dar- Darbo, who we drafted uh, in the fourth round this year out of Michigan. We got Cyril Grayson, who's a, a kind of a walk-on guy that we just don't know what we're going to get out of that guy. Probably don't expect a lot. He could probably end up uh, on the practice squad, but he could surprise us, especially if he can return kicks. Um, and Kenny Lawler, it sounds like he's really come in and added a little bit of weight. Um, Tanner McAvoy really emerged last year. What do you, what do you think about that group? Um, I actually think the group's a little, a little less deep this year than last year, but that's mostly to do with the fact that I'm not counting on Tyler Lockett to be a major contributor early on. And so you take him out of the mix and that's a group that I just think could use you know, some someone needs to step up. What I mean, do you we, think about an Anquan Bolden who's still out there as a free agent? Uh, he really he is what he is, but I really like his game. I do too. He would have done. He would have been a great addition to a Matt Hasselbeck team, but he's not a great addition to a Russell Wilson team because Wilson, as we've seen with Jimmy Graham, won't throw it to a guy who's covered and just expect his guy to make a play. And that's what you're going to have to do with, with Bolden because he's not going to get a lot of separation. But you just throw it up, let him use his big body to box out you know, the safety or the the cornerback and, and go get the ball for you. And Wilson just isn't comfortable throwing those passes. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about this group overall. If there was one group on the team that I had a, a little bit of reservation with, it would be this group, which is surprising to me because I thought going into the off season 
that this would have been one of those groups that we may have addressed with a free agent signing. And uh, we really didn't. No, instead, they, they're just, they kind of standard pat, and then they drafted Darbo. Um, and they go, well, you know, we, we'll have Baldwin, we'll have Curse, we'll have Richardson, we'll get Tyler Lockett back at some point. And, you know, if we can get, if, you know, if we can add a talent like Darbo, but then not expect anything right away and let him work his way in, and then hope that one of the other guys, whether it be McAvoy or... Um, they, they, Lawler. they got David Moore too in the one, seventh yeah. round. Yeah, and I expect one of those guys to step up. I, I think they they kind of thought they were okay. I mean, part of it is it's hard to say. Oh, well, this 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 position group is bad when you've got Doug Baldwin in it. Yeah, because he's he is right. he's a playmaker. He's so, a, he's a really good player. So talk to me about the, what you're feeling on Tyler Lockett. Every every indication that I've seen indicates that Tyler Lockett is going to be ready on day one. Well, he's I. He'll be ready for week one. Um, not for, I don't, That's what I mean. I don't think he'll be ready. Week one, yeah. September. So, but at the same time, will he be 100%? Will he be as quick as he was before his injury? Will he be, you know, as explosive? Will the team be willing to use him on punt and kick returns? Uh, I have a lot of questions and I won't, I can't answer them or anything it's pure speculation until i see him out on the field during training camp fair enough i agree with your assessment on the whole group i do think that they are expecting uh one of the the guys from a group that includes uh grayson uh kenny lawler tanner mcavoy david moore um the other guys that have been around the team for a while like rodney smith and um kassan williams um are they, are they going to step up? Yeah. Or are they just going to go away for once and for all? One of those guys is going to have to step up and win a spot and kind of pick up the slack uh, because they they really need someone to do that. And ideally, the team would find someone that would allow them to move on from Jermaine Curse finally because last year, yeah. was, last year was a really down year for him, and he never – I mean – you know, maybe David Moore and Cyril Grayson could do that. I just don't see it happening this year. I yeah. don't think that Curse is going anywhere this year. I don't either. I don't think. I but think if he's going to. Those guys can get on the practice squad, though. Yes. And maybe emerge, come back onto the team, you know, in, in November, for example, um, with, with an injury situation or something, um, and get some reps that maybe they would be ready next year. Yeah. Uh, those are the type of guys that. You kind of, the talent is there. You can see it. It's tangible. But can you turn it into production quick enough? Um, the NFL doesn't have a minor league system like like baseball does. They don't have a developmental league like basketball does. And so it it's hard to take those guys that have that obvious talent but lack the skills and refinement and wait it out, um, especially on a team that is ready to win now. So let's quickly move over to the quarterbacks before we go uh, to the defensive side of the ball and, and unkeg another another beer. Uh, we've got Trevon Boykin and Austin Davis on the roster backing up Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is definitely entrenched as the starter. Excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, hopefully stay injury-free. He's going into his sixth season, Keith. Sixth season. Wow, you've had him for five seasons. That's... So, so More this is I his expected. prime. Yeah, it is. And this is 
what part of the reason why the offensive line issue is so frustrating. Is it his sixth season or, or fifth? Seahawks.com's got it as six. So he's he going, was drafted in the 12th, uh, it, 2012. Mm-hmm. So this would be his fifth season. Yeah, it should be his fifth season. Sorry about that. Fifth season. That makes nonetheless. More sense. So but this is this is it. It's still his. This is still his prime. And how much of his prime are we wasting on a, a group that cannot block for him? You know, how much of his prime are we losing because he's running for his life on every play? And, and that's the rub, isn't it? It really is. It, it, for all fans, it's the fact that uh, we know we've got a franchise guy. We know what he can do when he's got time to throw. We're jealous of other teams that have really nice lines that create this, like, impenetrable, like, wall around their franchise quarterbacks, you know, and, and watch him throw all over the field and so forth. I think Russell Wilson in certain offenses could even be better than he looks for the Seattle Seahawks. I think that we're heading in that direction with the line that we have minus Jokel. If Jokel doesn't stick around next year, I don't know that I see that happening. We've got money allocated for Jokel this year, but what are we going to do next year when we need to extend Cam Chancellor? We've got a few other contracts out there. Jokel might not be affordable. And so... Um, but I do believe the ingredients are in place. If Fant emerges, that our offensive line going forward could be around for a while. Well, if Fant emerges and if the team resigns Britt, too. resigns Justin Britt, yeah, because if they if they let Britt walk and replace him with really anyone, whether it be. Um, Posick or some other random Drew Nowak style player. Yeah, we're going to take a step back. You take another step back and you cannot keep uh, taking step back with every a, with year a franchise guy. with when, when you're by losing those guys and actually build a championship level unit. Right. And the window doesn't get any wider. No, that it doesn't. It is right now. Because the older that Wilson gets, the narrower the, wild, the window will get. He's 28 he this is this is the championship window. The next four years are probably his his best years as far as development and everything. He'll still have his legs, his ability to run, everything that makes him good. Um, on top of you know his his arm and his brain and all of that stuff. This this is his prime. Yeah, the next three to five years. Yeah, and then after that, it starts to go down, and you cannot you cannot depend on him to be the guy he is now. Five years from now, six years from Especially now. Especially the kind of quarterback that he is. Yes. Where, he where runs. he's a dual threat guy. Yeah. He, 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 if he's not a dual threat guy, where do you rank Russell Wilson in the league? Uh, it's really hard to tell because of the way they use him. Uh, when I look at the second half of the 2015 season, when he was um, setting those records and just looking just impossibly good, probably you know, top three. I mean, obviously Rogers would be up there and, um, you know, just depending on who, what day and who you're looking at, what criteria you're using, you know, some people put luck up there or Mariota or Winston or, you know, the other guys up there with him, but he's going to be right. If you look at that sample size of in 2015, he's, there's a quarterback in New England. That's pretty good too. Yeah. But he's also like what? 73 now. And (laughs) how much longer is he going to play? But what that's exactly what I was leading to though, is could Russell, can Russell Wilson play until he's 40? 
not if they not if he has to be a running quarterback to do well. And I know he personally doesn't because we saw it in 2015. But if the team is requiring him to be a running quarterback yeah. to be successful, you're right, Keith. I think in order to keep Russell around until he's 40, which a lot of Seahawks fans think that that's that would be totally awesome. Oh yeah, and I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a good good quarterback, good leader to have on the team. You'd have to build a different kind of offensive line than what we currently have. Yes. Right now, the team is focused on run blocking. They want to, they want to open up running lanes. They don't care much about pass blocking uh, because they know Wilson will clean up so many messes that the offensive line um, will make. And they're okay with that. I think it's actually a smart strategy. I mean, it's proven to be a Super Bowl winning strategy, I think. Even though you can say 2013, they had a great offensive line compared to what they've got now. I still think the strategy is sound. Well, the strategy is sound when you have a healthy, young Russell Wilson. When you have an injured Russell Wilson like last year, or now as he starts to age a little bit and he gets maybe gets a little slower, you know, then it becomes a less sound strategy. So before we turn our sights to the defense, let's open up our next brew. What do you what do you got next for us, Keith? Okay, so the next one is an American stout. Um, so the difference between an Irish stout and an American stout, other than the country of origin, um, an Irish stout would be like a Guinness or Beamish or one of those. Um, they tend to be drier. Um, Whereas the American stouts have a little bit more hoppiness to it, a little bit of sweetness behind it, um, but kind of the same idea uh, as far as like, you know, the overall grain load and that kind of stuff. So the next one is um, an American stout that I brewed. Do you have a name for it? I don't. Maybe I could give it a name. Go for it. So, on the defense overall, my overall impression on the defense is that um, we're going to be better. And, and the reason that we're going to be better is we've got all our big studs coming back. And, and, and they're going to come back healthy, I think. Thomas looks like he's going to come back healthy. Chancellor's healthy, as we, as we know, going in after he had a little surgery on his uh, ankles to remove some bone spurs and such. Um, so we've got a fully healthy defense plus the infusion of all of the talent that we got on the, on the off season. I think we added two or three, four different linebackers. We added, uh, three or four defensive tackles. We've added a couple of different free safeties, Brad, Bradley McDougal being one, Turdick Thompson in the draft. Um, we added some guys on the back end, uh, Delano Hill as a strong safety, uh, corners. We've added, uh, Shaq, Shaq Griffin. Um, we've got Nico Thorpe coming back and Mike Tyson we got in the draft. And Pierre Desirs uh, really hasn't made an impact yet on the team at all. We'll come into camp for the first time competing for um, for snap time. Um, and then uh, Malik McDowell on the, on, the, on the line. I think overall, we've added enough new talent that's not just also ran guys that you bring in at the back end of the of the roster 
these are guys that I just named are going to be right in there competing for time uh, as key contributors this year. And so I think the defense uh, not only will have a better talent depth, but the identity of the defense is being kind of a mauling defense, a team, uh, uh, a defense that teams just don't want to face because they know by the end of the game they're going to kind of get beat up. Yeah, back to back to what, what they were. Yes. more 2012, 2013, right. 2014. Right. Um, before the depth started to erode. Right. This I mean, was the, a good off season as far as being able to keep all the core guys, get them healthy because they had a couple guys that, that had been hurt, but then also you know, just infuse the entire defensive roster with depth. Um, and so they added a bunch of linebackers like Will Holt and yeah. some of those guys. Just the tackling alone, just the, the, the tackling talent that we brought in from cornerback to strong safety, free safeties, um, all the linebackers, everyone that they brought in. Uh, I take a note that these guys are known for, to be strong tacklers, to come up on uh, up on the line as a safety and, and in the box and really tackle and be aggressive in their tackling and so forth. There's nobody that we brought in that shies away from bringing a guy down. And that's where the identity is going to come from, especially when you got guys like Cam Chancellor and Bobby Wagner and Earl Thomas are, are leading the charge. And everyone else, those new guys are going to follow. They're going to say, man, if those guys are doing it, those, the stars are doing it, we're going to come up and do it. And we already know, too, that uh, like a guy like Sherman's one of the best tackling cornerbacks in the league. That's something that has been really like overlooked as part of his game. It's, I mean, he's really good as a shutdown guy, and and you know you can put him on anyone and cover him and, and all the things that he does. But his ability to come up and play the run as a cornerback is just kind of incredible. I mean, there, there are a lot of times where you see, uh, opposing teams by their formation. Um, you know, because, because the Seahawks keep Richard on one side, you know, in most games, um, they'll by their formation, they'll basically set him up on the outside and turn him into a linebacker by, by with using motion and running their, their wide receiver on to the other side of the field. And so they basically force the Seahawks to use a cornerback like a linebacker um, based on formation and alignment. And it doesn't hurt Seattle because they've got guys like Sherman that can tackle like linebackers. And you don't see that. I mean, other those type of things will work against other teams, but yeah. it doesn't work against the Seahawks. Yeah. I mean, out of all the, all, about all the, the talent we brought in, I think that's the one big thing that we were missing last year was our identity as being a fierce defense where teams just did not want to face us, that we downhill tackled, we uh, we were aggressive. You know, I thought we lost some of our aggressiveness last year, especially when uh, Thomas went out. It was just not the same team. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really looking to, to have that back. And, uh, you know, one guy that I think, too, is going to make a huge difference is Malik McDowell. I, you know, we drafted him in, uh, as our first pick um, at the top of the second round. Uh, you know, I think fourth, fifth pick overall in the second round, 35 overall. Um, and I think he's really going to cause havoc this year. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, he's a guy that when he's on, when his effort level is there, he was unblockable, just yeah. purely unblockable. Um, and 
unfortunately, that's the knock on him is that his effort level wasn't always right. There. But they, but he was taking 70, 80 percent of the snaps too last year. I think he's going to be part of a rotation where he's probably going to end up as a rookie, looking at maybe fifty to fifty five percent of the snaps. It may or may not be that high because he's going to be behind Jaron Reed, who will be the starting nose tackle, and then you're going to see McDowell. Well, he might get some some time in the the three tech in the base defense, but uh, mainly he's going to be the pass rushing nose tackle who'll come in when when Reed. So comes you don't off think he'll take more of a, a Taya Rubens snaps? I don't think so because I think you're going to see Naz Jones tr- fighting for playing time and on and base downs. There. Yeah, yeah. You might be right, but boy, he's going to be a hard one to keep off the field. He is. It'll be a lot like it'll be a lot like Frank Clark when he came in. Um, That's right, Keith. Because just another guy. So picture this. It's third and ten. You're a quarterback playing against Seahawks. You get up to the line of scrimmage and you, you survey what's coming. And you're looking at your protections and you see uh, Cliff Averill, uh, Michael Bennett, Malik McDowell, and Frank Clark as the four defensive linemen in for the Seahawks. And yeah. at that point, you just go... Just call a timeout, throw the ball at your feet. It's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice that's a that's a nice vision. I mean, especially come playoffs next year. And, you know, that's really where we're building towards. You know, we're a playoff team. You know, our expectations this year are we're gonna be at least ten wins. We're hoping for twelve. Um, we're gonna be in the playoffs. We're looking for a first round bye. We want a home field advantage. You know, that's what we're, that's, that's the stakes. Mm -hmm. That's what the regular season is for. Get that home field advantage. And I'm telling you when it's, when the playoffs turn on and that defense has had all year to warm up, I think this is a playoff defense. This isn't a, you know, it's okay in the regular season, but the playoffs watch out. That's what this team is built for. Yeah. It's one of those things where the Seahawks have got to the point where they, it's not that they're going to take the regular season for granted and just assume they're automatically in, but their talent is on this team. They're going to make the playoffs. Now let's make sure that we build the roster in a way that can succeed in the playoffs, um, much like they did in, in 2013 and 2014. And can they do that again? Because um, the last couple of years, they've been built to fight and you know get their way in, but not necessarily built to win once they get there. So before we go further on the Seahawks, let's talk a little bit more about uh, a beer that you've just poured, and and then maybe we should try a, a couple others too to make sure we get them uh, to fit in to the show. Yeah. So let's. Um, so the one I just poured was the American Stout. Okay. So and let's then... try that really quick. Okay. Nice. See, it's a. It's darker, it's richer, it's got that more malty taste. Um, that this particular one, because it's an American stout, has a little bit more hoppiness than you'd expect from it. A little bit of citrus note there at the very end from the um, from that particular variety of hops. Is it intentional that the carbonation factor is dialed down a little bit on this one? It is um, because for my stouts, when I'm drinking them, mm-hmm. I like them... Not flat, obviously, but I like them to have lower carbonation than you know my lighter beers. Yes, so that's a that's a personal um, personal preference, and so since it's it allows the 
it allows the roasted malt flavor to come through a little bit more. Am I saying that right? No, you actually are. Okay. Because that's what I'm tasting. Yeah. So, okay. So we have that one. I'm going to pop open here. This is a Guinness from a can, but it's got the little nitrogen canister in it that will... Really? Yes. It's got a little nitrogen canister in the bottom. It's made out of plastic. And when you release the pressure in the can, it'll cause the canister to rupture. And so you'll get a burst of nitrogen inside the can. And so you have to, you're supposed to pop it. And wow, pour, dude. Do you need a towel? Pop it open and, <laughs> and pour hard um, is, is what they say to do. I'm Interesting. not going to do that quite, but I'm, so it's going to be a little less nitrogen than normal, but we are going to, um, I'm going to do that so we can compare an Irish stout versus an American stout. So. Wow, that was pro. You think I've done this before? <laughs> I've never seen a beer poured that way before. That's just straight down the bucket. Oh yeah, I have to with a with a, a Guinness and a nitrogen because of that because of that canister. You, it's just wow. pop it and pour hard. And so, if I had a pint glass, um, it would have all gone in there. And so you get a nice head. And if the if the cups we were using were clear, you'd have those downward right. those bubbles that cascade down instead of I'm, up going I'm cheap on. Today and, I provided plastic cups but at least they're colored <laughs> is, is that a good thing i don't know <laughs> at least they're not um you know the they're the... indestructible because i've had them for years and they've gone through the dishwasher like a hundred times and yeah so they're they're pretty decent actually okay so let's try the guinness at least they're not like the single-use red cups right that's right <laughs> i've stepped up in the world Yeah. See, a lot less hoppy. Um, it's called a dry stout because it's got it just doesn't have the hoppiness. It's got a little bit of sweetness in there. It's very smooth because of yes. the nitrogen. Right. Mm-hmm. So people think of Guinness, and they a lot people who don't drink it will tell you it's thick. Does that taste thick? No, and I haven't had a Guinness for about five years, and so, and the last one I had, God forbid it was cold i mean it was a cold guinness and it just didn't taste like this Mm -mm. it was this is interesting yeah so i wasn't expecting this especially when you brought in a can i was thinking wow it's in a can and i I wasn't expecting that and then when you said they had the nitrogen thing on the bottom i was like what yeah so that's crazy uh, guinness is the only beer that i'll drink out of a can other than they there are local breweries that when you go in instead of buying, instead of getting a growler, you know, just the glass bottle thing, they'll they'll call, give you what's called a crowler, which is a very large can of beer that they will make and seal right there in front of you, which is kind of cool. Um, but those are still craft beers. But Guinness is the only one that I will buy in a can, and I find that because of the way they have the nitrogen canisters and everything, that it works better out of a can. You know, pop pour mm-hmm. hard into a glass than a bottled Guinness does. Wow. I I did not know any of that and so I'm impressed. That's yeah. that was good good knowledge to uh to pass along. So I like it. Yeah, I like I like the American the this is different. And the so the American stout that you brewed is I like it better. It's a little bit hoppier. Yeah. Yeah. So for and it and it and it kind of is a great little transition beer away from the brown ale that you had uh, had right before it. 
Yeah, it's it's I I think it's a good beer. It's it's a little hoppy for um for a stout. Um it, it's it's IBUs are probably somewhere for those of you that don't know an IBU is an international bitter unit. It's a beer thing where we talk about how bitter it is. Um I would estimate the IBUs is about 45, 44 for mine and I tend to want my stouts in the low 30s, somewhere like 32, 33. Um so it's a little bit bitter, a little bit hoppy, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it's an American stout. It's not an Irish stout. So um, Americans love IPAs, which are really hoppy, usually yeah. up 70, 80, 90 IBUs. Uh, so having your stout be a little extra hop, it tends to be something that more... It's more familiar. Yeah, it's something that it, it, it fits more into that realm. And I'm one of those guys. I'm a, I'm a pale ale guy for the most part. Amber and a pale guy, and I'll try almost any one of them out there. Um, and, uh, but this is great. You've, you've convinced me to expand my horizons because I'm typically not a stout or a porter guy for the most part. So a lot of people think of stouts and porters and they think, oh, they're going to be higher alcohol and that kind of stuff, but they're not. Um, this Guinness is only slightly more like slightly more alcohol by volume than like a Bud Light. Um, it's a little over 3%. The whole can is like 120 calories. Um, this is a light beer. That surprises me. Which is, which is crazy if you think about it, but think about who their clientele was. I mean, now it's their a world brand, but when they first started brewing this, their clientele were coal miners. And so if you spent a whole day in a coal mine and then after work, you know, you go down to your local pub, you don't want to be sipping something, you know, just a little bit, you want to be able to chug it down and drink a bunch of it and, (laughs) you know, do that kind of stuff. And so Guinness was, was really, um, created with that in mind. And so it's a light alcohol, light, uh, calorie, even though it's dark, really smooth, a lot of flavor, a lot of maltiness. That's good. So what's the next one that you've got in line? So the next one is a milk stout. So let me grab that and then I'll explain it. So while Keith's grabbing that, I think, um, you know, we've broken down the defense. You know, I don't necessarily think that we need to go into specific um, position groups on the defense further than what we've done. Uh, But overall, what are your impressions with the entire team. Will the team be better overall? I believe it will be because we have, uh, I think we can and, lean. And, what, and, what, and, and how do you define better? Well, I think they're going to be more dominant. Because we were almost an 11 team last, 11 win team last year. Yeah. We should have been an 11 win team last year. 10 and a half wins because of the tie. Yeah. Um, it's hard to, you can be better, but then have less wins. It's your schedule and how things break and that kind of stuff. I think they're going to be more dominant. They're going to be, um, they're really going to be able to impose their will on opponents more than they've ever done in the last couple of years. And I think that is where you start to see that the team is better. Um, so how does that translate into wins? Well, what do you think? I mean, we might have a, a better idea of a prediction show. Let's say, you know, we have kind of a, a season setup show and, and a predictor show around, you know, mid-September, right before the season starts. But for right now in the off season, kind of give me an idea of what you're thinking in your brain. 
Well, I'm thinking probably around 11 wins is probably good. I expect them to start slow because they have every year um, under Pete Carroll. They start slow, especially with the offensive line. It'll come around, I think. Um, and then they'll, you know, they'll pick up and, and do better do you, down the stretch. Do you think the so. defense improved enough to be able to carry the team the first four games? Yes, I do. So that might be the difference this year. Yeah. The the one thing that worries me through all of this is that the defense improved, but it also got older. Um, so if they lose Bobby Wagner or KJ Wright for an extended period of time, the defense takes a major step back. If I lose, disagree. If they lose Earl Thomas again, I, they're, then I, they're done. Yeah, I agree with you that the main guys, sure, they got older. But you still got Bobby Wagner. He's in his prime. Sherman is still Sherman. You know, Cam Chancellor is still Cam. He's yeah. still Cam. I mean, Michael he did Bennett and Cliff Averill are now thirty-one. Yeah, they. Yeah, you're right. At some point, those guys are going to turn the corner. But yeah, we we got older. Yes, but we still got Pierre Desir. We drafted Shaquille Griffin. We got Nico Thorpe that's come has come on a little bit. We drafted Mike Tyson. We brought Quentin Jefferson's coming back from injury. We got Nazir Jones in the middle. Malik McDowell, you know, as a as a tackle. We we got all those uh, linebackers that came in. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure that I completely agree with that assessment that we got older. I think we we. We got older on our Pro Bowl caliber players, but we got younger with all the the, the depth talent that we brought in. So yeah. I mean, it's a real nice happy. It's a real nice way to build your defense. Actually, if I'm a GM, I you couldn't almost do it any better way than what John Snyder's done. Yeah, it's just this year is it's hard to sit here and say, oh, the defense is going to be better because we are, we know that all of the, all of the stars got older. Some of them are now 31, so they're getting there. And we have all this talent that we brought in, but we've never seen it on the field. So it's so much hype and not necessarily. You're absolutely right. Keith. And not necessarily like tangible yet. That doesn't mean they're going to be bad. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just like, it's hard for me to. To just embrace, you know, Shaquille Griffith is Shaquille Griffith until he turns into Kelly Jennings. Ah, uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kelly Jennings. When we drafted Kelly Jennings, he was supposed to be the bomb. He was supposed to be great, right? And then he stepped on the field, and we saw him, and it was like, ew. <laughs> right. So we're hoping that that's not the case, but we don't know until we start playing the game. Yeah. So milk step. There's no milk in this. Yeah, so talk to me about that, because the name freaked me out. You, you wrote it. Keith drew up the show notes this week, and I saw Milk Stout and all the other stouts and a porter, and I was like, oh, my God, Keith's trying to kill me. But talk to me about the Milk Stout. So a Milk Stout, technically, you're not allowed to call a Milk Stout. You know, Congress got their hands in naming things. Um, but everyone does it anyway, so it's a Milk Stout. Um, what that means is that it has lactose in it which is the sugar that you'll find in milk. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it's meant to remain yes. in the stout, not taken out 
Yes, because the yeast cannot ferment it. They cannot take that sugar and turn it into um, alcohol the way they do with the barley sugars or corn sugars. Or So when I sip this, I should expect a sweetness. You should expect a sweetness. Now, there's just a little... A, one, the lactose um, only produces about 70% of sweetness um, by volume compared to other sugars. So it it... It lacks in that, and there isn't that much in this. Uh, I put a pound of lactose in a five-gallon batch. Okay. So that'll give you a little bit. Um, you'll also notice that this carbonation load on this one it should be rather low because I just kegged this. Okay. So it, this, will, this will be better in a month when it has had a chance to sit, one, to pick up the more carbonation, and two. So when did you actually brew this? Uh, about a month ago. Wow. So you can go a month and and have something ready to go. A month or six weeks and you're ready to go. Yeah. If you do a lighter beer, um, like a Vienna or a Pilsner or those, you need two weeks and then you can keg it and drink it. Um, with the darker beers, especially the stouts, the, the darker it is, the more it benefits from sitting in the keg in your fridge for time and just aging. Um, it's just the flavor comes out a little bit better. It's called conditioning. It just works. Let's try it. That's interesting. It does have a slight cream at the top end of that. And it's got a little bit of sweetness. Yeah. But it's, so this is exactly the same recipe as the American stout. With okay. the exception of the fact that I added a pound of lactose. And you can tell by it's sweeter. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the, the, so I drink my coffee black. But if I were to dump a spoonful of sugar in it, it's sweeter. Yeah. It's and that's kind of like what this is. It's your same coffee. It's got the same, you know, flavors and that kind of stuff in it, but it just has a little bit of sweetness to it. And that's what a milk stout is. I like that. So my, my next one um, that I'm going to do is it's the same stout that we, that we have, the American stout. I'm going to add the lactose to it, but I'm also going to add a bunch of cold brew coffee. And make a coffee milk stout. Wow. And that will be, I don't know, that's my next experiment. That's the, um, that's the drinking show part two. <laughs> <laughs> so. This has been, this has been a fun uh, show for me because I don't, the, as much as we're drinking now, this is about as much as I drink, period, you know, at any one time. So this is, this is interesting for me. But I like the different flavors. Normally, for me, when I sit down and have a glass of wine or I have a beer, that's the only flavor I experience when I sit down. So this tasting process is actually really nice. It's fun when I go to uh, go out to breweries and whatever is to get like a flight, and so yes. you get like you know yeah. um, five or ten of the little like three ounce tasters. Right. So there's not you know five of them is is the equivalent of your one beer so get 10 you get 10 different beers 10 different flavors it's the same as like drinking two pints that's that's um, awesome sip them over the course of a meal and it's a lot of fun and you i've done that a few times and you just learn a little bit about different beers different flavors different um things and especially if you are doing it at a place where the wait staff knows their beer because they'll talk to you about oh well this one has mosaic hops and that's where you where you get this tone from and this other one is um, 
uses saws and this one uses tetinger and you know they'll, they'll be able to talk to you at the hops and how you get a little bit of you know this one almost has grapefruit like behind it and this other one here mm-hmm. is it tastes more like orange or orange peel um but it's not actually in there that's just the hop variety and so you get a little bit and so you start to just just kind of compile that knowledge a little bit here and there and then when you go to some place and you you're just looking at a at a beer menu and they actually describe it. Usually they'll put, they'll tell you what hops are in it and that kind of stuff. And you can go, Oh, well, um, I really like, you know, this, this cascade cause it's got a little bit of a floral note to it. So, um, this IPA will probably be better than this other one for me because I like that. So you, you just get, to, you know, a little bit of knowledge and right. you can kind of right. start to figure out what to order and what's going to be good. And it's just a lot of fun. It's just, there's a lot of chemistry involved. And so what's your background, Keith? I'm a, my background, well, I, my degree's in physics and check that out, folks. So, Keith's yeah. background is in physics. Yep. So in my office, look at, look at all my, all my books that I have. I'm, I, I dig physics and the, the universe and galaxies and stars and all that stuff. It's fun to talk about it is it's, it's great stuff so but yeah my 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 degrees in physics and um i went to graduate school in in um optical materials didn't finish that but that's what i went into and then you know so i got the math background and all that but so to me brewing, and you, and brewing, you started as a teacher yeah yeah so that's awesome well i started as an experimental physicist and then when i decided i didn't want to do that anymore i became a teacher and now i'm a writer and i brew beer um, but the brewing process to me is a fun ex- chemistry experiment. I just, I get into it. I, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. So you like the, the three stouts? I do. You got a I actually like them better than the, the, the IPAs I've been drinking for the last couple months. Okay. So that makes me really happy because I brewed these. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm, and I'm totally, I'm not just talking it up. I'm just <laughs> saying that these are beers that I normally would not have tried as I'm out um, ordering a beer off somebody's menu. But now that I have, I would be open to trying these out. I, I realize these are not, they wouldn't be yours, but at least now my eyes are a little more open to a, to a stout as something that I would add to my repertoire. Yeah. Good. How about the Porter? You want to try one, that? You've got one I got left. one more. And while you're, while we're getting that ready, um, and we're winding down the podcast, we've got about ten minutes left. And so, is anything short of a Super Bowl a disappointment for you, Keith? Yes, as it should be when I mean, a window is wide open. Yeah, that's this is this is one of those years where if you look at last year, they were. The an offensive line away from being a championship caliber team. Do you re, do you equate this to like a 2014 team? Yes, it's there. N- never equate any team to the 2013 yeah, team. Yeah, that's hard. That, like, that roster was special. It really was. You'll never see another roster like that. Um, not in Seattle. I just I don't think you will. I mean, it was just so deep at every position, and it was just so good. But 2014. I mean, where where do you see a drop off between that, the current team and that team? At least on paper, like we're. We're depending a lot on rookies, but once the rookies get uh, acclimated, we'll have think, a little bit better idea. I think idea. wide receiver might be a little light, and I think tight end might be a little light. I'm, I'm worried overall about our receiving group, although 
I think that worry is slightly misplaced in that I am expecting some of those worries to be um, tapered with the emergence of some of the guys that we talked about. Well, compared to the 2014 team, there was no Jimmy Graham. You had um, Luke Wilson. That's the guy you had. And he's still there. And now you add Nick Vanette and Jimmy Graham. So I think that right. the tight ends are better this year than 2014. If you look at wide receiver, you don't have Golden Tate, but you have Tyler Lockett, who's actually a better player. So I don't have um, any major reservations about those two position groups. I think this is a team that should be a Super Bowl team. You know, and what, realistically, when you look at a team that's that should be a Super Bowl team, uh, all you're asking is that you're giving yourself a chance. You're putting yourself in a position to win the Super Bowl. And what does that mean for Seattle? That means probably uh, securing home field advantage. Hopefully a buy. I mean, that's the goal. And I think to do that, you're at 11 wins. Yeah. You know, in, in, our, in the NFC, who else are we looking at? Green Probably Bay. Green Bay, Dallas, Dallas. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Who else? Is that it? Yeah. And I mean, somebody else that might emerge. Yeah. I mean, I don't see Arizona will say them. Yeah. I, but I, I don't, don't see it. But I don't see it. They took, I think they're, they're. And we can talk about, we, we'll have a podcast where we talk about the division. Yeah. So I, I see Arizona kind of falling apart yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't see the um, Eagles or Washington or, I mean, New York maybe. Uh, the Giants, but the, to me, they've got to beat Dallas and win that division and not be a wild card team. And I don't see them doing it. So it, it's it's hard to find a team, you know, that's gonna kind of step up there. It's really to me, it's Green Bay and Dallas and Seattle competing for two teams. How about, how about Atlanta? Well, yeah, Atlanta too. They're they actually have a um, the advantage of being in a. A pretty weak division. division. So it's those four teams competing for uh, the home field advantage. The the two first round buys. Yes. And so if you're one of the teams that gets one of the first round buys, you're in the driver's seat. And if you're not, then you're you know got an uphill battle. And so the Seahawks can't get off to a super slow start. You don't. We don't want to see them three and three. We'll look at their schedule a little closer down the road Mm -hmm. as we get closer to the uh, the the first uh, game, regular season game. But they've got a favorable schedule. They do. They have a very. Look at it. You could arguably look at that schedule and say they could win as many as thirteen games. Thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. Thirteen or fourteen games. But to me, the difference between a fourteen win team and a twelve win team is one injury. Or or giving away a game at the end, or Blair Walsh missing too many kicks. Right. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, well, let's talk about Blair Walsh. Do we have to? No, let's don't talk we... about Blair Walsh. <laughs> <laughs> can we? Can we talk about? Can we talk about the beer that I just poured? Let's do that. That's better than Blair Walsh. Um, so this this is my own creation. This is a vanilla bourbon robust porter. Okay, and I was supposed to name that milk stout too, wasn't I? You're supposed to name one of them. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> this is what happens. It was a while ago, and we've had a lot of beer. Uh, <laughs> so this is a vanilla bourbon robust porter now. I've never had anything like this in my life that sounds like that description. Okay, so a porter is in between a stout and a dark brown ale as far as color. Um, you get the color 
and a lot of the malty roastedness from brown malt rather than black malt, which come, shows up in the um, in the stout. So it's a little lighter than the stout, but darker than a dark brown ale. Um, robust means that I used a lot of grain and pushed the um, alcohol and flavor notes up into the sevens. Um, on its own. On its own. So this before about, the bourbon. Before the bourbon. So this was about 7.3%. Um, which bourbon did you use by the way? Uh, maker's mark. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, so that's what, that's a robust Porter. It's not an Imperial. Like when you start to get with black butte, double X by Deschutes or some of those. Um, so anyways, but so it's, it's less than an Imperial, but more than your standard because your standard, uh, Porter is going to run about 5.4. Your Imperials are, you start to get that about eight and a half to 9%. This one runs about seven. Is this a beer that you would sip? No, this is a beer that you would drink very quickly and then fall over asleep uh, <laughs> <laughs> before you know it. Yes. Before so, you know what you're drinking, you want to drink this. Thing. So anyway, so that that's the basics of the porter. Okay. Then what I did, uh, so this particular uh, porter, um, I had some oak chips, some charred oak chips. So it's are the cubes, so that it would be kind of simulate had I aged it in an oak barrel, but. Oak barrels are expensive, and then you, they tend to be 40-gallon, and I'm brewing five-gallon batches. So I just used like the oak cubes and had them in there, so you get kind of the bourbon charcoaliness, like, you, like I'd aged it in a barrel. Um, so I had that, and then I was supposed to add 16 ounces of bourbon to a five-gallon batch. Um, but I wanted to try something a little different than that within, within this recipe. So inspired by... Um, a brewery in Spokane, um, call, uh, River City Brewing. They have a vanilla bourbon stout. Or no, it's a, it's a vanilla bourbon porter. It's a VB porter. Um, and it's really good. It's, it used to be Coeur Brewing, for those of you that are over there. Um, but they're no longer Coeur They've moved from Coeur to Spokane. Now they're uh, River City. Anyway, so inspired by them, I wanted to make a vanilla bourbon. Um and what I decided to do, because small batches, it's hard. Vanilla beans are very inconsistent. Um, and so I did this fun little chemistry experiment where um, what I did was I uh, I took the vanilla beans and I soaked them in the bourbon. And I let the alcohol in the bourbon dissolve all the oils, which is where the flavor is. And I put enough in there that I knew I would saturate it. So... This is as much vanilla as I could fit into the alcohol content of the bourbon. Um, and I let it sit for a week and a half. And then I finally poured it into um, into my uh, beer when it, once it was done fermenting. And I also upped the hops a little bit because I knew the vanilla would cut all the bitterness. So I had to do some of that. So there's a, there's a little bit of experiment. A lot of – there was – I'll admit it. There was a bunch of math involved in order to get this right. Um, but the end result is excellent. Uh, in my opinion, awesome. this is one of the favorite, my favorite beers I've ever drank. And therefore it is easily the favorite beer I've ever made. This is to me, nice. to me, this is, I will be making this again as soon as like before my keg is empty, I will be starting another batch of this. Cheers. Let's do this. Wow, that's flavorful. It is. Do you I like, like it? it? It has, it has vanilla. It definitely has the bourbon. In fact, when you smell it, 
You just smell bourbon. You just smell bourbon. But when you taste it. when you it, taste it, it, to- it totally smooths out. Like, there's no bite to this at all. Mm-mm. It's smooth, nice, flavorful, dark, rich. You get all the maltiness of the, the barley like and all it. of that. And then you, on top of that, you get just a little bit of the bourbon and a lot of the vanilla. And See, I would have to overcome all of that to be able to chug this. This, this is not a chugging beer no, for me. No, it's not. For me, it's, this is more of something that I would sip on. It is. It's a sipping beer. I'm just To me, I just like it so much that I, yes. this is one that I would sit there and... Just swirl it. And just keep drinking and keep <laughs> drinking and then be like, whoa, why can't I stand? Um, because it, to me, this is just so... The flavor just... That's it really bl- nice. It blends really well. For the alcohol content that you said it was hovering at, at 11, 12? Mm, I think it's... Yeah, somewhere about there. It's. I, I, it doesn't have that that bite to it at uh-uh, all it's a real all. nice smooth um yep. yeah refreshing even like i could drink that on a hot day and it would be nice yeah except for that you would drink it because you don't taste the alcohol <laughs> you, you don't notice it's there yes, but it is right. still it'll, there it'll so it you. would it would especially on a hot day when you are um dehydrated a little bit that's this awesome would, this would catch up to you in a hurry Keith, I can't even thank you enough for bringing over all of your beers and explaining the process for each one of them. It's been a pleasure, literally. And um, I have a few uh, beers in cups all around that I will finish uh, after we're, we're off the air. And it was good talking about the expectations and the team because I think the team is going to be awesome. I think they're going to be good. Yeah. This is, for me, they... They better win. Yeah. They better well, win. It's, it, and it's one of those times where it's the expectations are set high, and rightly yeah. so. And, you know, we'll see what we got. But I think going into camp, we're going to have a good team. Agreed. So I think we're going to wrap today. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, you can find Keith at Myers NFL. You can find me at NWC Hawk. You can find the show at Hawks Playbook. Also on our website, hawksplaybook.com, where all of our podcasts are located now. This is our 19th podcast, um, which is hard to imagine, but we started in February and we've kept going every week. So, um, and we plan to continue to do that for the, the long term. So um, until next time, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out to my house and uh, appearing in person. That's awesome. We'll have to do that again. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's nice. I'll bring beer. Bring beer. Damn, damn good beer, too. Jeez. All right. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. The Hawks Playbook Podcast is brought to you by the Fan Sided Network and 12thManRising.com. Find our podcast on the website or subscribe on iTunes. You can find both Bill and Keith on Twitter. Bill is at NWC Hawk, and Keith is at Myers NFL.